beautiful song reminding us that God does shape and mold us over time if we let him. Speaking of shaping and molding, it is great to see Kyle and Bethany here. Congratulations on being only nine days out from your wedding. I'd like to just suggest that to others who are planning on big life moments and events that nine days is quite long enough. If you need to take some time off, do it outside of Sunday. Make sure you're here for worship on Sunday. Right. Decisions we make today will determine the stories we tell tomorrow. We are in a series called God's Plan. And uh, we are thinking about decisions and the ways in which God molds us and guides us. You may remember a few months ago, the captain of a ship called the Ever Given made some decisions in his life that resulted in his ship running aground and blocking the Suez Canal for months. Does everyone remember? Or for weeks. Does anyone remember that story? One of the outcomes of his decision-making was that the world experienced a shortage of garden gnomes. Did you know that? Shortage of garden, shorted, shorted. I read this, it's in the newspaper, a serious newspaper. And I just thought it was hilarious, so I thought I'd share it with you. Because you know what, the decisions we make in life, have a lot of unintended consequences. I wonder if ship's captains around the world now have become more cautious, maybe a little bit more anxious or even paranoid perhaps, as they approach the canal, double-checking and double-thinking every decision they make. The stakes are so high. The fear of failure must be as well. When we look at making decisions in our own lives, there is a huge level of expectation, particularly on young people. There's an expectation that you get an education. Once upon a time, a good education was you got to year 10 and then you went on with your life. Now, the expectation is at least university or, uh, sorry, is at least year 12 and, and perhaps and up to university. The percentage changes in people attending university is ridiculous. The expectations are so much higher. The expectation that you would buy a house with a white picket fence and get married and have kids and all that sort of stuff, a lot of that stuff now is just unaffordable, unavailable, particularly the having a, a partner bit. The stakes in life are so high. We've been presented with such a lofty picture of what life should be like that the, there is an anxiety about whether or not we'll ever make that. There is a fear of failure and a stress over decisions that we make that wasn't there before. And it's not just the fear of failure that has spiked in recent years. One of the consequences of the creation of social media has been an increase in anxiety. I'm sure you're all aware of that. We've talked about that a number of times. Because we are exposed to people's everyday activities and adventures, we we find an increase in the level of FOMO, the increase in level of fear of missing out. It's like being at an amazing restaurant. A few months ago, uh, Rebecca and I were out with some friends in Sydney and the menu was amazing and it was a beautiful restaurant. But I had real trouble. I don't know if any of you can relate to this kind of trouble. But if I had the steak, I couldn't have the chicken. 
And if I had the chicken, I couldn't have the pizza. And then there was a great looking penne. Have you ever had that kind of problem in life? You go into a restaurant and there's just too much on the menu. Yeah? And the funny thing is, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be afraid of missing out of something if it wasn't on the menu to start with. What social media does is put so many things on the menu. Food, friends, activities and adventures, all on the menu. And it causes anxiety. If I do this, if I go out with this group of friends, I won't be able to go out with that group of friends. Which is the best group of friends to go out with? If I have that, if I go out with them for dinner, I won't be able to go out with them with bowling. And what do I do about them? You know what I mean? Today, we're going to focus on seeking out God's plan for our life in the middle of all of that. It's a process of learning to trust God's guidance, accepting His will and following. Trust the process. Um, If you are playing along at home or here in the room, you might like to take a Bible out and turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're actually going to camp out mainly towards the end of Acts chapter 20, but I'd like to summarize the story so far. And if you'd like the details and you get sick of what I'm talking about, you can read the details in chapters 19 and 20. So in chapter 19, we learn that Paul arrives in Ephesus. Paul, uh, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, pretty sure. And he arrives there. Paul is the greatest leader in the Christian church since Jesus, and many scholars would say, since ever. After Jesus, there has not been anyone quite like Paul. He writes or will go on to write, more than half of what we now know as the New Testament. He is a great leader, but here he is at at kind of at the beginning of a lot of things. He arrives in Ephesus, he he becomes friends with the Christians there, and uh, like they did everywhere, they began to meet in the synagogue, the place where Jewish people met, because they were Jewish. It just so happens that they were talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ had come, and the non-believing, the non-Christian Jews didn't like that very much. So, there's only there three months, and they kicked him out, and uh, he went to go, and they held their meetings in a, well, a kind of a homeschool kind of place at someone else's house. The church grows, becomes established fairly well, and before you know it, two years have gone by. Then if you read uh, the detail in chapter 19, you'll read that how Paul becomes to be a famous figure in the town. It becomes famous across the world, so much so that various political factions and religious factions start to get into conflict with Paul. And Paul's like, we can't have this, I need to, I think I need to get out before something bad really, really happens. So, he decides to leave Ephesus to take a trip across to Greece and Macedonia, to check in with the churches that he planted there uh, a few years ago. Uh, You can read about this trip in the beginning of chapter 20. Many adventures were had on that trip. Uh, But then almost a year later, Paul is back near Ephesus. Paul's problem is that Ephesus is off, off the track. You know, you know when they build a bypass... And you know, you want to go into that town, but it'll just take a bit too long. 
Do you remember? Do you, did anyone have a town like that where you used to as a kid or whatever, you'd drive up and you'd always drive through that town? Anyone drive through Berry fairly often? Now, I know there are donuts, which means that people still drive into Berry and possibly other things as well, but there's the bypass. And so Jesus was on, this, on the main road and he's heading towards Jerusalem and he knows that he's got to go to Jerusalem. Uh, but he wants to talk to the guys in Ephesus. He wants to catch up. He misses them. They're friends. So what he does is he stops at the services, the, the you know, service station near the, near the uh, turn off, and he invites them to come across to him, the leaders of the church. And he does that. They come across and it's a very emotional reunion. And so that's where we're at. Good friends come back to meet with Paul as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he says this to them. We're going to read from verse 22 in Acts chapter 20. But there is another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I do know that there won't be any, uh, that it won't be any picnic. For the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the Master gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredible, extravagant generosity of God. So, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning considering the processes that are taking place in this text and how it applies to us. First of all, there is a spiritual prompting. He says, but there is another urgency before me now. I feel compelled and I want to put in there um, by the Spirit. Did I put that in the text on the screen? No, righto, you're good. Compelled by the Spirit. You see, uh, Eugene Peterson, when he translates in the message, doesn't include the words by the Spirit. It's kind of like taken as read. But in the Greek, it says deo honuma, which means deo, compelled bound, wrapped up in pneuma, the Spirit, current, breeze. So he's compelled by the Spirit. Paul loves the church in Ephesus. You can see it. You can see it here in the letter that he writes them later. It's called Ephesians. We spent some time a number of years ago looking at Ephesians and we noted that it's one of the only books that, or the letters that Paul writes where he's not writing to tell them off. He's just writing to say hello. That's really nice, isn't it? But um, so he, he loves Ephesus and he knows that he's got to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't really want to, but he's got to. There is something deep within him drawing him to Jerusalem and Rome. I don't know if you've ever had that spiritual sense deep within your soul drawing you in a particular direction or towards a particular thing. When I was a young adult, I was loving life, loving work, loving sleep. But there was, and there still is, a deep sense in me that I am to do this. An urge deep within my soul to serve God like I'm doing. So I left my job and gave myself over to the service of God, particularly in the Salvation Army. And I've loved every second minute. It's been a totally enjoyable, well, that's not the point though, really, is it? I've not always enjoyed it. 
It'd be ridiculous to suggest otherwise. I keep getting moved, for instance. But I've always felt that urge deep in my soul to stay the path. This is my calling. So what Paul is saying here is you need to pay attention to the Spirit within you as the Spirit speaks. The times in your life where you feel urged, compelled. And I want to say though, it's not always about being called into ministry, although if any of you are called into ministry, let me know, I know a guy and I can get you some forms, but it's also about the little things. God whispers to us, deep within us. And the way I break it down is sometimes God says to start, sometimes He says to stop, sometimes He says to stay. Sometimes God's Spirit within us says, you've got to start something. It may just be you got, God's calling you to start a phone call with somebody, to start texting a person. Or maybe it's to start a new ministry. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to write a book, to start something like that. Maybe God's calling you to start something new, to start praying for someone. Or maybe God's calling you to start going to a life group. Sometimes, though, there's this deep urge in us to stop something. God might be urging you to dump your lazy boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. God might be urging you to change your job. God might be urging you to sell your house. God might be urging you to get rid of some habit or hang-up from your life. God sometimes urges you to stop. And sometimes the urge is to stay. To stay in a job. To hang in there. To stay committed to this or to that. So that's the first part of the process. To listen to God's urging to start, stop, stay. To try and discern what that is. But then... Paul goes on and he says this, become comfortable with uncertainty. My dad used to say to me, son, there are two things in life that are certain. Death and, does anyone know the rest of the phrase? Or is it just dad? Death and? Taxes, right? Which of course is wrong because if you're a multinational corporation, taxes are not. <laughs> but you get the point. When it comes to God's plans for our lives, we need to be aware that uncertainty will always play a part. We're never going to be 100% certain. And we need to press on the best way we can otherwise. Look what Paul says, I feel compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. Paul knew his next step was to go to Jerusalem. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew he had to go. Some friends of mine felt God telling them to sell their house. They weren't at all certain about where they were going to live, but the day of Honuma was strong enough that they did sell it. They were homeless for a bit, still didn't know what to do next, and they're living in rental. They're still waiting, learning to be comfortable with the uncertainty. God rarely gives us the details ahead of time, yeah? 
And that's a good thing. As a young adult, thinking about becoming a, an officer or a minister, if I'd known the details, if I'd known the, the facts about what was going to happen, then I would never have said yes. But now, having experienced all that I have experienced, I would never have said no. God doesn't give us the details ahead of time. And sometimes that's for our own good. He gives us steps and we need to step out in them. But also, it's not a picnic. Is what he says. There is a predictable level of resistance. I do know that it won't be any picnic for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. Paul says, I don't know the details, but I do know that in every city I've been in so far, deep down I get the sense that there is prison and other hardships coming my way. As we follow God's plans for our lives, as we listen to His promptings and His urgings, not only do we have to be comfortable with uncertainty, we have to realise that hardship is a part of life. And hardship does not negate God's plan. Spoiler alert, Paul faces some pretty powerful opposition. In fact, he has in every city he spent more than a little time in, even on the most recent trip to Greece. Most of the opposition comes from, do you know, where does most of Paul's opposition come from? Bible scholars, anyone? The Jews. That's right. And you know where he's headed? Jewish capital. It's fairly easy to figure out that hardship and probably imprisonment is his lot to come. And yes, it is. But for some reason, we think when things get difficult, when things get tough, we suddenly start to think, God mustn't be in this. This can't be God's will. Resistance is not a sign that you are out of God's will. Resistance is not a sign that you're not following God's plan. Instead, make sure you're listening to the Deohonuma. Do exactly what God wants you to do. So God's plan for your life includes spiritual promptings, uncertainty, and resistance. Sounds good. But that matters little, says Paul. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. Yes, he was prompted to go to Jerusalem. Yes, he wasn't sure what would happen when he got there. Yes, he was aware that it was likely going to be hard and land him in prison. But in the end, he says, those are just details. Those are my story, my plan, my details. But the great grand plan of life is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Wherever he goes, whatever he's uncertain about, whatever opposition he faces... Whether he's chained to a jailer, he preaches to the jailer. Whether he's put in prison, he preaches to the other prisoners. Whether he's in Herod's um, palace, he preaches to Herod. Wherever he is, whatever he's doing, he never, ever lets go of the call to testify to the good news of God's grace. 
And that's not just His call either. That was a challenge that God gave all disciples, all followers, all those who've experienced the love of God. The call is to talk about it, to spread it, to share it. Paul didn't have a particular plan to succeed in his life. His plan was to obey. This morning, as we finish, I want to spend some time in reflection. I'm going to sing a song. We haven't done this uh, for a little while. We haven't had a, a response time. And unfortunately, I can't invite you to come and kneel at this place of prayer. But I do invite you to pray and reflect on the words that we're going to sing. There are people in our church struggling with finances. There are people struggling to find work, struggling to find suitable housing, struggling with legal matters, struggling with relationships, sometimes related to those legal matters, struggling to know what to do with health concerns, struggling what to know about moving jobs and careers. This morning, one takes some time to reflect and to ask deliberately, in a time like this, to ask for God's prompting, to ask for a, a clear sense of calling in a particular direction, to ask for God's guidance one way or another. So I don't know this morning specifically what you face, but I want to ask you to spend time in worship before God, knowing we are infinitely loved by an infinite God, and asking Him for guidance. So the song is, um, I'm in His hands. It's a fair reminder. And it's reflection time. And as we sing this song, I encourage you to bring your life decisions to God, to seek His spiritual insight and prompting. And if you do have that sense of spiritual prompting, then I'd love to hear from you and we'd love to talk about it and pray with you over it a bit later on when we can be distant and so on. Let's spend some time singing and praying about our life and the calling God has for us. I shall not fear for darkened clouds they gather round me I have a son who cares and understands
to stand with me for prayer. Dear God, by your Spirit, speak words of wisdom and guidance over our lives today. You promise to be with us every step of the way to guide us and supply what we need. Help us to sense your presence. Help us to perceive your direction. Help us to understand your promptings, especially when they seem to be drawing us into hardship. Help us speak the right words, make the right choices, and choose the right opportunities. God, you know making decisions can be confusing for us. Help us to determine the which direction will open the right doors and cause productive relationships to flourish. And may we never forget the task you gave us, to let everyone know of your extravagant love for them. This we pray in your name. Amen.